Good morning, everybody. It is great to see you. I trust you're all awake. You don't even know what time it is, do you? Now, come on, you're cheating. The first service, it was really early. They, they didn't wear their We Get To shirts. It was their, they wore their We Have To shirts. There were some maybe We Barely Got Here shirts on this morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. We go from snow. I heard rumor of a 70-degree Friday, though, so that'll put a smile on your face, right? And if you're in a southern state watching this laughing at us, that's wrong. That's wrong. Hey, we're going to continue in our Majestic series. I hope you've been enjoying this Names of God series. We actually put out some, um, in, the, in each foyer, we even put out a little, little notebooks that you can grab and get the pen and the Majestic on it. You can be writing down names of God as you're studying these because uh, we're really praying that through the names of God, we learn how to pray deeper prayers. We understand who our God is. We don't allow the world to define who God is, and we don't make up our own God, or I couldn't worship a God like that, but instead we learn from Scripture who God is. The disciples said, Jesus, how, how do we pray? And he began by saying to them, our father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God's name is a majestic. It's awesome. And there's countless names, it feels, about who he is. And today, hopefully through our worship series, you've already figured out what we're going to be talking about. And if you haven't yet, you are really tired, okay? It's the name Yahweh, the I am. We're going to be focusing on his name. And in order to do that, we're going to stop by a bush today, a bush that was burning. And, and that burning bush spoke. I mean, we've all had this experience, right? But we know the story, don't we? Whether we grew up in church and saw it on a felt board or we can recall, but this is the place. This bush will be the place where Yahweh will speak to his servant and tell him, I want to use you. And when his servant says, who will I say sent me? He gives his name and it's the name Yahweh but he gives it in a specific fashion that is so powerful and so wonderful and so assuring. He basically tells his servant, no matter what circumstance, I am, what's been our word? Enough. I'm enough. And we're going to learn that today as we focus on the name Yahweh. I hope you're enjoying this Yahweh, excuse me, this Names of God series. And, and I trust that this will be a blessing to you. Would you pray with me? And we'll jump into some of these names of Yahweh. Heavenly Father, use this today to encourage us in those times in our life where we feel called to do something. Or a time in our life where we've been asking you to do something. God, when are you going to do something? Lord, we look at the state of the world. We look at people's lives. We look at neighborhoods. We look at areas. There's so much anger and frustration, cruelty, unkind words. Lord, there's so much. Oh, it just seems like there's so much frustration. And on top of that, Lord, there's fear. There's a lack of peace. There's concerns. There's agendas, all these things surround us, it feels, Lord, and it overwhelms us at times. Isn't it good to know? And Lord, may we always remember this. When we feel like we're not enough, when we feel like we've had enough, 
May we always go to the one who is enough in whatever circumstance we're facing. We pray this, rejoicing in this time we have together, this time we have together in your word that is here to guide us and instruct us, the very place that gives us all these names. Oh, it's all the same God, but it's names helping us to understand who you truly are. May it bless us and encourage us as we study today. We pray this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Yahweh. It's a tetragrammation, right? You all we know that, right? Well, that means four letters. Y-H-W-H. And Yahweh and Jehovah are interchangeable. Just look at the word. And you're like, what? How is that interchangeable? Well, if you were with us in our opening series or opening message, I talked about how Jehovah comes from taking consonants and vowels and adding together. Now, all my high school students just checked out, but just stay with me for a second. Like, oh no, don't go there. But stay with me for a second. I showed you a diagram and this is the way I learned too, okay? I learned this way too. But it, it shows you where we get Jehovah. You see, Yahweh, they didn't use consonants in the Hebrew language. So they started to use a different name for God because they didn't want to take this name. I mean, they didn't even want to use this name improperly. So they even sometimes say it. And they would often say Adonai. Well, they took the vowels from Adonai and they placed them in Yahweh. And so you get Jehovah and you go, how did you get Jehovah? I see Yahuwah. Because this pronunciation for Yah can be Jah and Ah can be Va and then Ah is Ah. I'm even messing myself up. But Jehovah. In other words, Yahweh and Jehovah are really interchangeable. And we'll look at Jehovah a little bit more next week. But what I wanted to do this week is concentrate on the name Yahweh because Yahweh has a lot of compound names. And you say, oh, this really sounds like school. But, but Yahweh has compound names and those compound names help us understand who he is more. Do you know some of them? Here, here's a few. I'm going to give you a list. Yahweh Shalom. Yahweh Shema. Yahweh Sabaoth, Yahweh Nisi, Yahweh Rahi, Yahweh Jireh, Yahweh Sinkindu, Yahweh Rapha. And you can also say Jehovah Jireh or Jehovah Nisi. But I'm going to do this for sake of just our, our educating purposes. We're going to focus on those first four and call them Yahweh. I want to just show how it can add to your prayer life. Well, Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is peace. Have you ever prayed to Yahweh Shalom? Have you ever prayed for peace? You ever been awake at night and your body can't rest? You're all stressed out. You, you ever get muscle tension from anxiety? You know, they literally will tell you that you store your stress in certain areas. Some of you store your stress in your shoulders. You're like, actually, yeah, I think I do. Some of you, it's, I don't know. I'm not going to name places. That's not going to go well for me if I continue to go. But, but we, we, we have all this, some, and, and anxiety can overwhelm us. Have you ever said, Yahweh, Shalom the Lord of peace. Where do we get that name? Well, we got that name from a wine press because Gideon was hiding from the evil people of his day and God came down to the guinea pig, if you were with us two weeks ago, and I dropped it and you all lost a lot of trust in me. 
because it was stuffed animal. You know what? My wife didn't even know. She was like, what? And it's great. It's great. But this little guinea pig hiding, we called him guinea pig. We didn't call him guinea pig. We called him Gideon. And it was there when God showed himself to Gideon and used Gideon to be a warrior for him, even though Gideon was hiding in fear, God showed him that although you might be small, I'm huge. We've been leveraging a golf ball. By the way, drink a bottle of water, take the cap, set it down on your thing, and you got yourself a stand or a tea, however you want to look at it, right? But we talked about this little golf ball, and we leveraged an illustration in the How Great Thou Art concert series that Lou Giglio brought. And um, we, he said, if the earth was the size of a golf ball, okay, then the sun would be around 16 feet in diameter. Now, because our projector screen is about 16 feet across, we put a sun up here and we walk back here and go, wait a minute. That means that's the size of the earth in comparison to the sun. And God said, let there be light. And we have these stars. How big is God? How big is the universe? And how small are we? And yet this God of the universe says, I love you to Gideon who doesn't even show up if that's a globe, let alone the United States, let alone his land, let alone our town. And this great God says, peace be to you, Gideon. Do not fear. You're not going to die. And Gideon built an altar there and said, the Lord is peace. You know, children of God who are go through difficult times at times, they feel tremendous anxiety and they'll pray for peace. But sometimes, and if you're a little newer to the faith or if you are not familiar with church, you'll hear Christians say things like, I have peace about this, even how tragic it is. I've watched people who have lost loved ones say, I have a peace that I don't even fully understand why I have this peace. And you say to them, it's the peace that passes understanding. Have you ever had it? I don't know. Well, have you ever had peace when it made no sense that you had peace? I mean, every circumstance around you is terrifying and awful and, and, and bad, yet you have a sense of peace. You have that peace that passes understanding. What if you added to your prayer life, Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is peace. I need peace. It helps refine the God you're talking to is a God who wants to bring peace, a God who sees us hiding sometimes and comes and sits right next to us in our wine press and says, I'm going to use you in big ways. Hang in there. Yahweh is peace. I, I, I specifically love Yahweh Shema. Are you familiar with Yahweh Shema? Another compound name, Yahweh Shema, it means the Lord is there. Oh, how great is that? The Lord is there. Where do we get that? It's from Ezekiel. Yahweh, or God, takes Ezekiel up on top of this mountain to show him a vision of this future city. We know it's, it's referencing heaven and all of the new Jerusalem and its glories. And he sees it and, and, and he calls the place Yahweh Shema. Ezekiel 48, 35. And the name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. How comforting to know 
that the Lord is there. You see, when, when David and Solomon were even building the temple, Yahweh Shema was often leveraged. And then he'd say, God would say, put my name on that. Put my name on that. And it was Yahweh Shema, the Lord is there. Isn't it good to know, New Testament believer, that he isn't in a temple made by man. He's in the body of Christ. He's in the temple. And that's why Christians call their bodies the temple because scripture says he dwells there. That means Yahweh Shema is there. God hears your prayers. He sees your suffering and he knows what you're going through. Yahweh Shema, the Lord is there. How does that inform your prayer life in those moments where you go, God, I'm all alone. There's nobody here for me. I'm all by myself. Yahweh Shema. Yahweh Shema, help me to feel your presence because I know you're there. It's one of your names. Hallowed be thy name. Many people know and love Yahweh Sabaoth, the God of angel armies, the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth. We got this name, young David. Kids, you know David and Goliath, and you've read the Bible stories, but it's David who calls on the name of Yahweh Sabaoth as he's standing before the Philistine giant. He says, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth. Is there a battle that you're facing right now and it scares you? And you say, you're coming at me with these taunts and you're mocking me and you're calling me names. But do you know how big my God is? You come at me with that, but I come with Yahweh Sabaoth. It changes songs like, fight my battles. It speaks differently when we say battle belongs to the Lord. Have you ever faced something in your life where you can't control the circumstances and you feel under attack and you bow your knee and you say, Yahweh, Sabaoth, fight for me. Angel army, God, send your angels to do it. The Lord of hosts. And, and, and it fueled David so much to know how big his God was that, that did you ever realize in that text? Oftentimes we talk about it. I've gone to schools, um, some of our Christian schools in the area have had me speak at times. And, and one of the things I did one time was just do David and Goliath, okay? And, and that's a common story that comes up. But I said to the kids, you ever realize what David does when he realizes how big his God is? He doesn't kind of sneak up to the giant and go, okay, sneak attack, he doesn't do that. What does he do? Do you remember what he does? Look what scripture says. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David snuck up fearfully. Nope, it's not what it says. If you're listening on a podcast, you're reading the Bible, that's not what it says. It says this, David ran quickly toward the battle to meet the Philistine. David ran. That's why I like that picture because it's a picture of David running. Yahweh Sabaoth, the God of angel armies, surround our home and protect us tonight as we sleep. Help my little six-year-old sense that he or she is safe tonight. Daddy, what's Yahweh Sabaoth? Oh, God is a God of angel armies. Parents of young children, one of the 
greatest things you can do is every once in a while in your prayer life, say a name of God. You will hear the toddler go, what? They'll interrupt your prayer. They don't care. Daddy, who's that? Oh, I'm talking to God. Who's Yahweh Shalom? Now just get ready because you'll be in the back of the car sometime all stressed out. And your child will be like, please be Yahweh Shalom. Calm daddy down. He's going to hurt somebody. You stop using that name of God. Call on El Gabor. That's what you need to do. The battle God. Join me in. Join me in uh, learning how relational God is. I'm giving you some compound names, but we want to talk about Yahweh today. I want to go to the Exodus generation. Many of you are familiar with the book in the Bible called Exodus. Well, it describes the Exodus generation. And each time we've begun to understand something about God, we go into a story in Scripture, an account of Scripture, and we see what sin has done. If you can remember as we began our series, sin has done this to the Exodus generation. Sin is going to take you farther than you wanted to go. I really didn't want to go this far. I only said one lie. I didn't think it would turn into that lie, and then that lie, and then that lie, and now I'm caught in the lies. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will also keep you longer than you wanted to stay. I only planned to be here for a short while. I only thought it'd be one time. I didn't expect to do this. I didn't know we would still be in this. Sin's going to keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And the third thing sin's going to do is sin is going to cost you a lot more than you wanted to pay. I, I didn't think it would cost this much. I didn't think there would be this many ramifications. I didn't think I'd lose this much trust. I didn't think it was going to go this way. And that's why we love the quote. It's not our own here at this church, but we love the quote, choose to sin, choose to suffer. You see, we don't sin just for sin's sake. We don't want to sin because we don't want to suffer. And so when scripture tells us not to do something, we look at that as the loving father who says, hey, don't touch the oven. Why? You trying to ruin my life, dad? No, I don't want you to touch the oven. Why don't you tell me to touch the oven? This is the way the Lord tries to communicate in his scripture. He's not trying to destroy your day or say you can't do something if he didn't care. Choose to sin, choose to suffer. Sin has costed the people of Israel tremendously. They have become political refugees. They have become economically, they become slaves. Socially, they've become dispensable. And spiritually, they are targeted. And sin has brought them low. And God has heard their prayers and is coming to do something about it. And it's the incredible story of how God intervenes in one of his most precious children, none other than Moses. Kids, you remember the story of Moses coming down the river? Pharaoh's daughter spots this baby in this basket, takes him, and he's raised in Pharaoh's court. Moses, who was said to be killed, all these, all these Hebrew babies, he is now in Pharaoh's court, and Moses is raised in privilege. And Moses, let's be honest, his first uh, 40 years or so was kind of a hot shot. And, and, and kind of abrasive and, and a privileged young man who made a really bad mistake when he saw one of his own people being pushed around. He murdered somebody. Sin. Sin's going to make you go farther than you wanted to go. And Moses had to flee. He went into Midian. 
where he would spend another 40 years, no longer in Pharaoh's court, no longer in a position of prominence. It's as if he jumped the gun on God in some ways, saying, I'm going to be the deliverer in my own strength. I am something. I'm in Pharaoh's house. I am someone. I am capable. I am pretty awesome. I'll do it myself. To where we find Moses at the burning bush, he's a completely different person. I like to pull up a timeline of Moses' life to help us realize what he went through. You got that first 40 years of privilege and position in Pharaoh's court. And then the Egyptian murder happens and he flees to Midian where he's a shepherd and God blessed him during that time, but he's a shepherd and a husband. In fact, from outside accounts, it seems like Moses was a really awesome awesome shepherd, cared for his sheep, and raised a large flock. We get that from an account, we don't know for sure, but from an account from the books of Philo, or a philosopher Philo, who wrote in the first century uh, some information about Moses. It's always intriguing to get um, content outside scripture sometimes about what occurs. And, And it seems like Moses, if all those accounts are true, was a really awesome shepherd, But God has allowed this time to mold and shape him. And so when the burning bush happens, he is a very, very different person than who he was as a young man. I often like to say, I wish I could preach a lot of my sermons when I was 20 years old. I wish I was 20 years old because um, that's when I knew it all. You know, see what I'm saying? Um, that, that's when I knew it all. I knew it all when I was 20. I see, I feel like every year, and I'm still young, right? I hope some of the young people are like, no, Chris, you're not young at all. Okay, but, but as you get older, you realize it's almost like you are super smart and you get dumber each year. That's how it feels. I feel like there's more for me to know all the time. And now, now I have a lot better perspective on life and I'm growing all the time. But that's why you'll come across people who have more experience in life than you young people and they'll say things like, I think you might need to slow down. Why? My business will be awesome. Boom. This is going to be great. I think we got to do this. You might want to think about, you're just trying to wreck my fun. I just don't want you to get hit with what we got hit with. Moses in a different spot. And he went from this guy going, don't touch somebody and hits him and kills him to what we have at the burning bush. Are you ready to go there? It's in Exodus chapter three. Scripture says the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. I made a note already. The angel of the Lord? In the Old Testament where we see accounts of the angel of the Lord, that is Jesus himself. That's Jesus. That is the pre-incarnate Jesus because this angel of the Lord accepts worship and angels are not allowed to accept worship. This is the angel of Yahweh. You can read this as. And so this is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the prince of peace, the one who would say, I am the bread of life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the good shepherd. 
The angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now, wherever we see God, we know he's a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, comes in the midst of the bush. So Yahweh is coming, and he looked, and behold, Moses looks at the bush. And for a bush to be burning in that area was not that uncommon. Here was what was uncommon. It's not going out. Why isn't it going out? Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Doesn't God use creative ways to get our attention? A burning bush? I mean, really? A bush that doesn't ever stop burning? I mean, why isn't it not burning anymore? You will find throughout your life, God uses some of the most creative ways to get your attention. Sometimes he calls your child to do something and your whole family follows in suit. I mean, sometimes he uses a car accident. Sometimes he uses a disease. Sometimes he uses a great moment in your life. Sometimes he uses a new start. There's different ways God gets your attention. Can I ask you today, is God trying to get your attention and you know he is? You're all full of rage or upset or whatever it is, but it's really, you know something. God's trying to go ahead and get your attention. He'll use creative ways to do it. Ways that we don't know to say, I think it's time for forgiveness in this family. He'll use creative ways to say, I think it's time for us to stop this inappropriate behavior. He'll use creative ways to say, I think it's time we address this habitual sin. He'll use creative ways to say, I think it's time to confront this issue that you know needs confronted. I've often liked to say, God, I don't want the burning bushes. Just let me know along the path. I'd rather not learn with these wow moments. But for some of us, especially some of us extra stubborn people, God has to use some creative ways. Well, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. He said, Moses, Moses. I would probably run. I was walking through the halls of a school late one night and a, and a TV came on with somebody speaking and I, that messed me up. Hey, what the, oh, no, stop, Right? I had a buddy who worked in a school late at night and he cleaned churches as well. I had nothing to do with this, but you know what his friends did? They snuck into the church he was vacuuming in and they grabbed his ankle while he was by himself. I said, you guys are evil. They're just like, <laughs> he quit that job. He was afraid we'd come back. I can't imagine this bush goes, Moses, Moses. And he says, here I am. And then he said, do not come here, the bush says. Take your sandals off your feet for the place you are standing is holy ground. God's presence is so pure, so awesome, so without defilement that even the ground around the bush, take off your sandals. And he said, the bush, Yahweh, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. They had read in the scriptures, if you see God, you'll surely die. And so he hid his face. But, but what is going on here? God is, is using this bush to say, I am the God of your father. You know my dad. 
You're not just this massive God that nobody can understand or know. I am the God of Abraham. You, you, you know Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. This is, this is the God who is relational. You see, God is showing his servant here that I am relational. I know you. I am not only knowing you, I am knowing the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. You can trust this voice. This is the God that they prayed to, and I'm here to talk to you because I am a relational God. So many people have a God that's not relational, and God wants to show even in this passage, I can know you. I do know you. And the Lord said, I have seen the affliction of my people who were in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sufferings. Now, now we have um, inductive Bible study classes that go on from time to time, and we just finished up one. It was a great turnout. We had a lot of people at it, and uh, Pastor John Adams uh, did it, along with Jason Black. They did a phenomenal job um, just teaching inductive studies, and I know another one will be coming up in, uh, in, in, uh, with sometime within the calendar here. And one of the first keys, if you're in that class, what do you remember? The first keys of inductive Bible study is what? Observation. Just observing the text and seeing what is in the text. Well, I took some observation here to show you another part about God that will inform your prayer life just in case you think he doesn't see what's going on. Make them bold, please. Do you see them? I see it. I hear it, and I know it. Now, how many of you like to tell the God of the universe what to do? I try to stay away from it if he's as big as what we're talking about, but there's some of us who feel we can tell him what to do. Have you ever said, well, then do something about it? You ever get there? Well, if you see it, then fix it. If you heard it, where are you? If you know it, then come on already. I'm excited to hear what Moses is going to do with this. You've got a shot. But I learned something about my heavenly father. If he sees it, hears it, and knows it, that means he is omniscient. You say, what? Omniscient. You know, there's three massive attributes of God that we should all have memorized. I know teaching these ones to our kids when it was little, it was very important to Rebecca and I. Politeness is awesome. Great grades are awesome. But you want to have your kids serve and pray to a big God. And so one of the things I always wanted to pour into them was the attributes of God. And especially you start with your first. You're a really good parent. Then you start to slip. And then by the baby, you're just terrible. That's a joke, I hope. But we would teach him this, and I remember when my first one, our first child, who is now almost 22, we would do this, and he'd be in his bed, and he'd always want to go over this after I wanted to go to bed. Dad, can we go through? Okay. All right. God is what? Omnipotent. What does it mean? All-powerful. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. So God is omnipotent. God is Omnipresent. <laughs> this way, done. What are you doing, man? He's everywhere. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. Where is he? Over there. Oh, when they're little, it's so much fun. Yes, God is omnipresent. God is all powerful. Omnipresent. God is. Wait. God it. Wait. 
God is omniscient. Was it? All-knowing. Okay, so God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. God is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. Every time you pray, bud, you're praying to a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere. Yahweh, I have seen, I have heard, and I know. And if you just learn the omnis by me doing that, don't be ashamed, carry it along. I am omniscient. And I have come down. Oh, you're coming down? I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians. Enough is enough. Let's go. It's about time. Have you ever prayed, God, do something about this world? God, do something. Chris, were you in the car with me on the way over to church? God, do something. He says, I'm coming down. And I'm going to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptian. I'm going to bring them up to the land, to good and broad land. Keep talking. A land flowing with milk and honey. Oh, yes. If I'm Moses, I'm like, keep talking, Bush. I don't care if you don't stop burning or not. This is the greatest news I've heard. To a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. When I was a kid, I was like, why is God sending them to all these insects? God is specifically pointing out a game plan. And now behold, the cry of my people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. The I am is saying, I am a deliverer. I am a deliverer, and I have come down, and I'm going to do something about it. How many of us are like, somebody's got to do something about this? And you know what? I think someone ought to say this something. You need to say something. You know what the church needs to do? They need to do this. How many of us are so good at telling everybody else to come down and do something? And then God goes, come, I'm sending you. Look what he says to Moses. Come. I will send you. I'll send you to Pharaoh that you might bring my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt. Moses, you're back. 40 years in Pharaoh's court, 40 years now in the Egyptian, in Midian, excuse me. And now you're back. God's going to use you in massive ways. Let's go. You are finally clear for takeoff. But Moses is in a different spot. Some of you are like, well, my Lord, he is. He's 80 years old. How many of you? How many of you have been telling God I've done enough? Did you run that by him? That's been our word, hasn't it? How many of you have been telling God I've done enough in my life? Did you run that by him? Is he okay with that? Because I see a God who's in the business of calling people even at 80 years of age to do massive things for him. Do you know something? I don't believe I would be where I'm at on this stage, if it weren't for some of our senior saints who are well into their 80s, praying for me every day, some of you watching right now. Before you tell God I've done enough, I think you ought to run that by him because he's in the business of calling 80-year-olds. So don't think you can just run this course out. It doesn't seem like God's interested in Moses' retirement plan. He's got a game plan for him. And he says, I'm sending you. But Moses is in a different spot. And he says, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Whoa, 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 where's that guy? Where's that young guy? He's gone. 
I got a nice thing going on here. There's a lot of good sheep. You know, the wife is happy. We got a good thing. How hard is it to change when you got comfortable? How hard is it to change when you get comfortable? I'm just kind of getting comfortable. It's time to change. We were just getting comfortable, God. And we start coming up with excuses. Are you good at that? I can be. Who am I? And all the what-ifs start coming into your head. I mean, I'll go up to Pharaoh, and he'll be like, who do you think you are? I mean, he's got all these what-ifs. Have you ever gotten frozen in the what-ifs of the future? Well, what if that happens, and what if that happens, and what if that happens, and then you can't move? It overwhelms you. And, and some of us, when we prognosticate, we're pretty smart, and those things actually do end up happening. You know, if our family keeps acting like this, you know what's going to happen. You know what the state of the country, if it keeps going like this, you know what's going to happen. And you know what? A lot of times we're right, and it brings us a ton of fear. Isn't it amazing? Whenever we go into the future in anxiety, God is never in our future. We always just leave him in the past. Isn't that interesting? Whenever we go out into the future and we feel fear and anxiety, whenever we're out there, he's not there. That's how you know it's the enemy, church. Because if he's not out there, you don't serve the God of scripture. You've made up some other God who stops and doesn't go with his kids. Moses said, who am I? He gives him his first excuse. You can write it down. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Have you ever said that? I'm not worthy. I'm going to use you. I'm not worthy. I'm, I'm really good on an email. I don't really actually want to go do it. Who am I? Look what God says. He doesn't say, but you're great. You're good. And there's nothing wrong with encouraging people. Please do it. But he doesn't say, you're awesome. Just believe in yourself. He doesn't say that. He says this, I'll go with you. Who needs that today? I'll go. You're coming? Yeah, I'll come. And this shall be a sign for you that I've sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you're going to serve God on this mountain. That's why I have you here. That's why the bush is burning right here. This is going to be a sign. I'm not worthy. And God's response isn't like, you're right. You're such a loser. Nor, yes, you are. You are. Don't say that. It's not that. He says, but I'm coming. Wait, you're coming? I'm coming. The God of the stars, I'm coming. I'll be with you. Moses said, okay, okay, okay. Okay, it's almost like he's like, let's say I go. <laughs> okay, have you ever done this? If I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, they're gonna ask me, what's his name? And then what am I gonna say? Here's his second, his second what if. I'm gonna go there and they're gonna say who is. And he's not wrong, right? He's not wrong, that is probably gonna happen. Then what am I gonna say? He's basically saying his second argument of why God shouldn't use him. I am not influential. I'm not influential. I mean, shouldn't you be calling like some CEO or some big time leader or some, some person who's like really an uppity up or whatever? Somebody like from big city or something? Not me, right? I mean, shouldn't you be using the most popular kid in the school or shouldn't you be using some teacher and as a professor or something? I mean, why are you asking me? I'm just a student here. Why are you asking me? I'm only 12 years old in my whole family. I'm not very influential. What if I go to them and I say, who, who are you? What, what should I tell them your name is, Burning Bush? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am sent you. 
I am? Now, what if you walked up to somebody and said, hey, man, my name's Chris. What's your name? I am. Right? I am? Okay. Somebody's got a complex, right? God says, I am. You mean like you was? No, I am. You were? I am. You're currently? I am. You're someday? I am. You're forever? I am. You're enough? I am. You are? I am. I am sufficient for everything. And I'm the one sending you. That's what I am means. It means he is self-sufficient. He doesn't need a little dinner tonight to feel better. He doesn't need a nappy all night for eight hours, maybe nine to function well. Doesn't need it. Our bodies fall apart without food. Our bodies fall apart without sustenance. He don't need it. He is the self-existent one. He needs nothing. (laughs) And on top of that, he is self-sufficient. He is self-existent and self-sufficient. Isn't that everyone's dream on social media? To need no one and to lack for nothing. It's almost like everyone's being sold on the idea of becoming God. If I work hard enough, I will get to a spot in my life where I will need no one and I will need nothing. It's called wanting to be God and it's a dangerous place to be. And Moses answered and said, but, but they're not gonna believe me. He makes his third argument, or they're not even gonna listen to my voice. They're going to say, the Lord did not appear to you. Do you ever make up what people are going to say? I know what they're going to say. We're good at that, aren't they? Aren't we? And if we don't want to have the conversation, we know what they're going to say so that we don't go do it, right? I know, you know what they're going to say. That means I don't want to go do it. You know that. You know what they're going to say? It just depends on where we want that conversation to go. Moses, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to believe me or they're listening to my voice. They're going to say the Lord did not. Here he makes his next argument. I am not capable. They're not going to believe me. I'm, I'm not capable. And the Lord said to him, the Lord looks at him. He says, what is in your hand? And he said, the staff, how many of you remember what happens? God says, throw it on the ground. Oh boy, what's he gonna do? Throw it on the ground. And what happened? It turned into a snake. And the man of God, Moses, right? This great deliverer, what did he do? I'll act it out. Same thing I do when I see snakes. I'm not that great with this. I remember walking down a trail one time and I was at a camp and there was this snake and it was rattling right right there. I mean, we sprinted. We couldn't go fast enough. Your knees felt weird. I mean, it was like, no, get out of here. He throws it down the ground and he runs from it. God says, go pick it up. Oh, that's not funny. Go pick it up. Oh, you gotta be kidding me. Pick it up, pick it up by the tail. Moses comes over and he picks it up by the tail and it becomes a staff again. 
that would probably do it for me. I would probably be pretty convinced that this is God. And he says, hey, take your hand, put it in your cloak. Okay, puts his hand in his cloak. Pull it out. He pulls it out. What is it? Leprosy. He won't be able to see his wife. He's not going to be around his family. He's dying. It's a terrible disease. Like, oh, what is that? Put it back in your cloak. Okay, puts it back in. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're the God that can take a staff, turns into a serpent, which metaphorically we could draw some conclusions on that the power of the devil or that Pharaoh often wore that cobra outfit, basically. Pick it up. God says, what's in your hand? So often when we don't know what to do next or we don't know how God is going to use us, he'll say things like, well, what's in your hand? And Moses, still not convinced, even after all that, he says, but, but Moses says, oh, Lord God, I'm not eloquent either in the past or you, since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. I don't speak so good, right? We all know this. Was he saying? He's saying, I'm not strong enough. I'm not strong enough. Moses has now said, I am not worthy. You can write it down. He says, I am not influential. I am not capable. I'm not strong enough. What about all my inabilities? Do you ever get good at telling God what you're not good at? God, you know I'm not equipped for that. God, you know I'm not an evangelist. God, you know I don't speak good. Don't ask me. Don't ask me to speak. Are we good at telling God what we aren't good at? And the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and I'll teach you what to say. It's like Moses is like, God, you're not listening to me. I have very good drawn out reasons why you should use someone else. Pay attention. You keep giving me reasons why I should do it. And so Moses drops the bomb on God and says this. Oh, Lord, please send someone else. And his reaction, God's reaction is totally different than all the other reactions before. He says this. The anger of the Lord kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. Behold, he's coming to meet you. He will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you and the people. And he shall be your mouth and he shall bless and you shall be as God to him. Speak to him, he'll speak for you. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. The last one. I'm not the one. He says, I'm not the one. And God says, grab your staff. Aaron's gonna help. God's first response is to send another, a brother, to help How many times in your life, this is how God usually works with me. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you folks. This is usually how God works with me. Go. I'm, I'm serious. Maybe somebody else. No, Chris, go. I, I have, uh, you know what? I have a few suggestions who we could appoint. Go. Okay. Hi, everyone. Good morning. Anybody ever got that situation in your life? We believe you got it. You got this, man. You got this. My parents used to tell me when I was a kid, it would be like, I can't, I can't, I can't. And then they said, you do a good job. And you'd be like, I'm the greatest there's ever been. 
and then it would go back around. So just cycle around, cycle around. What's in your hand? Staff. But weren't you listening, Lord? I'm not worthy. I'm not influential. I'm not capable. I'm not strong. I'm not the one. And God's reply to all of those things, church, is what? I am. What? I'm not worthy. Well, I am. I'm not influential. I am. I'm not capable. I am. I'm not strong. I am. Not the one. I am. And we're going to do this together. What's God asking you to tackle that you've been avoiding? And you've got good excuses why you've been avoiding it. What God's asking you to tackle that you got reasons why maybe it should be someone else? What's God asking you to tackle? You say, well, Chris, I don't even know what it is. I don't even know what God has for me. My next question for you is, well, what's in your hand? You got a drill in your hand? Then at work, use that drill for the Lord. You got a pen in your hand? Well, then you write for the Lord. You got an opportunity at a job? Then you use that for the Lord. You got a keyboard? Use it for God. What's in your hand? Steering wheel. Okay, then use that for the Lord. What's in your hand? Because oftentimes, what God calls us to do isn't some outside, faraway land. It's often what is in your hand. It's already there. Long after, not long after, Moses is leading the people and they're attacked. And the Lord instructs him, go up to the top of the mountain and hold up your staff. Hold up your staff above the people. Hold it up. And as long as he held it up, the story says, as long as he held it up, the people were winning. But as it would lower, they'd start to lose. He'd hold it up. At one point, he sat down on the rock, scripture tells us. In fact, it got too heavy that some brothers came to help him lift it up. Maybe the staff isn't in your hand. Maybe the staff is in someone's hand that's very close to you, and you can tell it's getting heavy for them. Why haven't you been helping them to lift it up? Do you know somebody the staff is getting too heavy? Is it your wife? Come on, guys. Help her lift it up. She's getting tired. Is it your husband? Did he really need that sarcastic comment? Or maybe he just needs, I'm proud of you, honey. Keep it going. Maybe it's that teenager. And you can see on their face, school is overwhelming them. And you go, hey, man, I'm with you. Help him hold it up. Because God is also Yahweh Nisi. The Lord is my banner. His banner over me is love. Hold it up and watch God win. I was sitting there talking to the Lord while I was working on this sermon. I said, well, Lord, what do you want me to do? I mean, we got this vision ahead, Lord. I feel overwhelmed. I don't feel worthy. I don't feel influential. I don't feel all those things too. And I was feeling the Lord as I'm studying this go, well, Chris, what's in your hand? I'm looking around. Well, I got a golf ball or got some paper. What's in your hand? You keep holding that up. You'll win. Just hold it up. It's one of the reasons we teach the scripture here. Because we believe this is all we need. He's given it to us. And in this book, he's given us his names. And one of those is Yahweh. I am. 
God, I love this quote from Ken Davis, God is not looking for extraordinary people. God is looking for ordinary people who will trust an extraordinary God. Isn't that good? God is not looking for extraordinary people. I'm just 12 years old. How could I possibly influence my older brothers who aren't working with the Lord? Sweetheart, open that Bible like you keep doing and let those big brothers walk by your bedroom. It'll sink in. My older sister, my name was on her prayer list every night. I needed it in high school. Who am I? I can't change my husband's heart. We've been laying in this bed for how many years and we face each direction. This thing is burned out long ago. There's no way I can change this. I'm not influential. I'm not capable. Can Yahweh say, I am? Have you been fighting this or you want to fight with me? I am a God who can do all these things. Yahweh, whatever you're saying I can't do, I would encourage you in your prayer life to call on the one who can. He's not looking for extraordinary people. He's looking for those who will trust in him. Next week, we'll continue some Yahweh compound names. Shalom, Sabaoth, Shema, Nisi. How about Rahi, Jaira, Sikindu, Rafa? And we'll talk about how those names will also inform our prayer life. But I pray this week, whatever God has in your hand to use, whatever he's calling you to do, whether it's right now or in the future, whatever you're saying, I'm not capable. Isn't it good to know that the one who came and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life says, you know you can do all things through me who strengthens you. Let the I am go with you into this and leverage his names in your prayer life. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being our banner, Yahweh Nisi. Lord, thank you so much for being our peace, Yahweh Shalom. Thank you so much, God, for being the God of angel armies and surrounding us, Yahweh Sabaoth. Thank you for being the I am. And thank you for not being just this thing, but this relational God, this omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent God who sees and hears and knows everything we're going through. He's not missing this. One day he will return and take us to the place. Yahweh Shema, the Lord is there. But right now he's in our lives, in our hearts. We are the temple and he dwells with us. And that same God says, I wanna go to work with you today. I wanna restore this relationship today. I want to go with you to school today. I want to help you face whatever you fear today. And whatever excuse we might come up for what we aren't, good news, when we're weak, he is strong. Thank you, I am. We worship and praise you, Yahweh. Amen.